Good morning, afternoon, or night, whenever or wherever you happen to be. You're listening to Music in Theory, where we take deep dives into musical topics for listeners both nerdy and normal. I'm Brent Lawrence, and today we're talking about Ed Sheeran and the Pope. Before we dive completely in, I just want to make a few mentions. This is a brand new podcast, and I'm new to podcasting. So if you like what you hear, let me know. You can find me on social media at Facebook, which is Music in Theory Pod, or Twitter, which is just Music in Theory. And if you feel like supporting what I do here, please feel free to leave me a five-star review on iTunes or head over to my Patreon page, which is at patreon.com slash musicintheory. So today's question is, how is pop star Ed Sheeran connected to the Pope, like the Catholic Church Pope? Let me back up. One of my favorite things to do is to listen to every version of a song I can find. I love hearing how different artists perform and interpret songs, or perhaps alter them completely. This type of thing is pretty common with popular music. Heck, think of all the different covers of Bob Dylan songs, or The Beatles, or silly parodies of Wrecking Ball you can find. Weird Al Yankovic even makes a living altering songs into his own wonderfully quirky parodies. But more specifically... I find it interesting to listen to various renditions of folk songs, because not only can you hear how they're performed by various artists across genres, but you can get a feel of how a song's long, long history has played out, sometimes dating back hundreds of years. And it's interesting to listen to a modern rendition of a song and then observe how it's evolved from its roots. A few years ago, I found this folk song, Wayfaring Stranger, covered by singer-songwriter Ed Sheeran on YouTube. I typically think of Ed Sheeran as a guy with a guitar sort of performer, but in this video, he's using some electronic effects to repeat certain parts of what he sings. Using various vocal harmonies, he's built this very evocative texture over which he sings the main melody line of the song. I am a poor wayfaring stranger traveling through this world alone and there's no sickness to listening to Ed Sheeran's rendition of this song and others by Johnny Cash and Bill Monroe and others got me interested in how this song evolved from its roots which seemed to lie in rural Kentucky but moreover As I began investigating the song, it got me thinking about how the development of folk singing, at least here in the U.S., kind of mirrors what happened in Europe during the 13th and 14th centuries. 
See, much like Ed Sheeran layering those vocal harmonies on top of each other in vocal music and music in general, doesn't just change randomly as we progress through time. There's layers of complexity. And if we take a look at music history, we can see when and how those layers emerged. In European music history, the practice of multiple voices singing together evolved through several stages, and most saliently within sacred music. The nuts and bolts of this are perhaps a conversation for another time, but it will suffice to say that this music is the foundation of everything that classical music has offered us since. The basis of our discussion today is Gregorian chant, which is a very simple musical setting of sacred text used for Catholic church services. There wasn't a Protestant church at this time. The unembellished performance of Gregorian chant can just be called plain chant. At its most fundamental level, there's often a call and response element, where a leader will sing a line, which is then simply repeated by other singers. The melody that's sung is called the cantus firmus. That's just a predetermined fixed melody, and it's what the other layers of complexity we'll talk about are built on. We can track these layers of complexity through instructional treatises, which are sort of musical manuals that instruct a would-be singer on how to perform the music at hand. The first layer of complexity we'll talk about today is called organum. Organum is the practice of embellishing a plain chant cantus firmus by singing a parallel line with the original at the interval of a fourth below or a fifth above, and the octave can be used too. So if we started out with something like this, we could end up with something like this. There's a lot of attention at this time paid to what musical intervals are considered stable, or as they would put it, in concordance. At the time, intervals like the fourth, the fifth, and the octave are considered the most stable. So as we add layers of complexity, other intervals begin to come into play, which establishes our next layer of complexity, which is called descant. In descant, we now have a voice that moves contrary to the cantus firmus and embellishes it further. A very typical example would sound something like this. Where the higher voice starts at an octave, moves through a seventh, and ends up on a note a fifth up from the lower voice. The rhythmic embellishment, where higher voices place more notes in the same amount of time as the lower voice, is a consideration as well. The final step to talk about today has probably had the most felt repercussions for the world of classical music, which is the practice of full-on counterpoint. The difference here is an emphasis on each part being independent, and also an even more liberal use of musical intervals. In the two practices previous, 
The voices must begin and end in a concord, usually a fifth octave or unison. But with the move to counterpoint, voices may end on intervals such as a major third. I really enjoy listening to medieval music like this. I think it's amazing that, even if this type of music isn't practiced widely these days, that we've been able to preserve this part of European culture. And it makes me wonder what other obscure but massively formative musical practices we can find. What you were just hearing is a version of The Wayfaring Stranger, sang by the Indian Bottom Association of Old Regular Baptists from southeastern Kentucky. Do you notice anything familiar about this? In the same way that European church music began with call-and-response singing, American church music, before notated music and hymnals were widely used, had a tradition called lined-out hymnody. Lining out essentially refers to a similar call-and-response form, like we heard before. The only difference, really, is that this form sounds distinctly American and folk-like, with English words, pentatonic melody lines, and sliding in and out of the right notes. Notice that, similar to the Gregorian chant we listened to before, that there isn't much harmony here. The singers are all singing the same notes, and further, it's all in the same parallel motion. Notice too how the leader will linger on a certain note at the beginning of a phrase, maybe embellishing it a little, but then descends down the scale where the phrase bottoms out. This sort of attention to the trajectory of a melody and what notes it tends to linger on are paralleled in medieval European music too. Lining out was succeeded in the 19th century with the rise of shape note singing. In short, shape note technique assigns notes of a scale with syllables that help singers find their notes. If you listen to the beginning of a hymn, you can hear the singers finding their notes in relation to one another. See, unlike full-blown counterpoint, shape note singing doesn't have completely independent lines. There are definite harmonies being sung here, but unlike hymns that churchgoers sing today, there is more of an emphasis on the perfect intervals, the fourth, the fifth, and the octave. 
In these ways, shape note singing is more closely related to organum and discant. The lines are built on each other and rely on the cantus firmus, the fixed melody, to provide their context. This version of The Wayfaring Stranger, yes, that's just how far we've come from Ed Sheeran, is actually one of the songs contained in one of the most famous shape note books called The Sacred Harp, first published in 1861. You've actually been hearing a recording of the Sacred Harp singers of Cork, Ireland, singing the tune in the background. What I find really interesting is that the hymns in The Sacred Harp and other shape note books happen to be composed in this organum-ish style, but shape note notation itself doesn't necessarily favor that aesthetic. Whether the composers were influenced by organum, I can't say, but the overarching aesthetic that they arrived at is quite interesting. And further still, the influence of this type of singing can be heard even today in both the songs we sing and the way people harmonize vocal parts, especially in popular music. If we fast forward a little bit further in time, we can start to hear the song take on more of its current form. Check out this version done by Roscoe Holcomb, a singer and banjo player from the same area as our old regular Baptist singers from southeastern Kentucky. Similar to how they line out the hymn, Holcomb simply sings the lines as they come, with very little embellishment. This can be contrasted, however, with the stylings of Bill Monroe. In the B section of his version, you can hear a second voice come in with a higher harmony part. Listen to where it starts and ends. The second voice starts on a major third, and then ends on a fifth, which is pretty similar to European descant technique. Further still, the preference for ending a phrase on a perfect interval is in line with both organum and shape note singing. This rabbit hole goes down a pretty long way, or maybe it's more of a spider web. In either case, we've almost come full circle. In Johnny Cash's version, although it's pretty close to Bill Monroe's, you can start to hear some of the same modernism that we do in Sheeran's, with the focus on one clearly sung but ornamented vocal line, and an emphasis on the overall form of the song, instead of simply linking together subsequent verses. But I still can't shake the feeling that they approach the song with their own distinct artistic license. So instead of a logical progression from one version to the next, it's more like they're drawing from the same well of influence. And whether they make coffee or tea with that water is just up to personal preference. I'm just a poor 
wayfaring stranger traveling through this world below there is no sickness we've been on quite a journey today we've talked about building on a plain chant cantus firmus to create organum with parallel melody lines and how those lines become embellished with descant and then how lines become independent to create full-blown counterpoint. Just as interesting, we've compared these European singing techniques to those found in American folk music. They're all layers of complexity. Remember just how Ed Sheeran layered his voice on top of itself to create a vibrant musical texture. Music made throughout history does the same thing. It's always building on itself to create something new. I never thought I would say this, but I think we've found a way to connect Ed Sheeran to the Pope. Music, and its history, and how it's built on itself. I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger Traveling through this world of woe There is no sickness, no toil or danger Bright land to which I go And I'm going there to see my father And all my loved ones who passed on I'm just going over Jordan I'm just going to my home Well, that was today's show. Thank you so much for listening and sticking around. If you like what you heard, please visit my social media platforms, which are listed in the show notes below, or visit me on the web at patreon.com slash music in theory. This podcast is written, recorded, and produced in my apartment's spare bedroom, which is currently located in Eugene, Oregon. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep listening. This has been Music in Theory. Music in Theory